You're listening to an ACA podcast. Cosmos has no center. This is not my story. From this position, my eyes cannot see as your eyes do. From this position, my ears cannot hear what your ears do. I cannot put my words in your mouth, nor can I put your words down on a page. Stories, whether real or imagined, have too much I and not enough we. We argue for the I and sit uncomfortably with the we. But how do we talk and see and hear together without having to be quiet, without speaking over, without pointing at something else, just like this? Would you like to know more? I would like to invite each of you to join me in creating a story of this space. We will find our shared position through a triangulation of perspective. The visual through your captured image, the heard through your recorded sound, and the linguistic through your written word. Hi, my name's Anna. I've written a letter to my late husband who died earlier this year. So I'd like to share that with you, which is placed down there. Um, I sat in Cosmos a few weeks ago and um, I had that idea and I wanted to tell him about the exhibition and the workshop and um, how his colleague Lucinda from the non-fiction lab at RMIT has done an awesome job. We are essaying breath as a method of writing criticism. This is our position. Eva Rothschild talked of recycling the waste of the artwork. Thinking of breath as the waste of an oratory text, we recycle the breath as the material of writing. We essay breath as a performative, critical, and collaborative mode of writing. Writing the effect of artworks on bodies Writing the effect of bodies on artworks. Writing the politics of the spaces that artworks and bodies occupy. Through Beth, we co-author. Before this workshop, we were sent a reader with a list of key texts, and these formed part of the expanded materials of my experience of Cosmos. I considered them all, and then I spread my attention unevenly. I am thinking about Maggie Nelson's Bluets, her belief that we do not choose the things we love. I am writing away from an observation of Cosmos, using guides for my travel, Nelson's use of blue as her constant, her anchor, a relationship where blue is a colour, a property, determinable but not fixed, so a shifting concept. I am affected by Nelson's quote, I am not interested in longing to live in a world in which I already live. I do not want to yearn for blue things. Her blue is also an investment in her romance of seeking. I trust Nelson's trust in these contradictions. I am not interested in centering the sculptures of cosmos, but in finding an anchor that can affect them, can act within the space around and between them. Acker is full of cosmos, and so how can we have and move into so much space? I am thinking about how to move static sculptures without touch 
without moving ourselves to affect their impression on us. I am thinking about imagination as a site for moving. I am thinking about how the form of a score, scores as instructions for movement, can be used to prompt these conditions of movement and how the score is my form, is my position on cosmos. My answer in response to the question, what is writing in the expanded field, begins with all the technologies that are so prevalent now have begun to open design up. It's becoming an expanding field, and there's a need to feel that expansion, David Shield quotes. Grimes talks about remixing genres together as we live in a post-genre world. However, you don't really get post-genre without genre to begin with. <clears throat> DJ Vadim talks about creating and how it is more about being free, easy, and being yourself. It's a play on words that means something. That is my voice. I was sitting on Eva Rothschild's stools and contemplating what I was going to write about. The stools remind me of hyperrealist art. They replicate what's real. The editor asked me, what is your voice? This is what I answered. Uh, before I studied art, I studied mime. I spent two years in a boxing arena that was built in the 1870s, dressed in a black skivvy and black leggings, moving lines and shapes made of cardboard through space. Led by an architect, an artist, a clown, and an acrobat, my classmates and I were in search of an uh, le forme de burlesque, the shapes of slapstick. We wanted to delineate a science of visual, physical comedy. I was very serious about it, and still am. I entered an appreciation of sculpture via an obsession with the comedy of objects. To conceptualize or intellectualize was a crime at the school that I went to. We used no text. We asked, how does it move? What does it do? When I entered this exhibition, I was struck by the scale, the softness and glossiness. I saw slapstick in the suggestion of collapse and of erection, the excellent awkwardness of artworks that can be sat on and seats that can't be, the great drama of thresholds in the shape of jumbled obstacles, outlines of doorways, hanging veils. Eva talks about ruins, detritus, columns, pillars, festivals and refugees, and architecture of hazard. The exhibition catalogue calls on us to see a space to reflect, dream and act. Mise-en-scene, a family of forms, the agora, the amphitheatres of antiquity, ancient Roman rostra, the democracy and the republic. Democracy got going in Athens right after 510. A large open-air theatre on the south slope of the accommodated a massive audience consisting of the whole population of the city, including foreigners and slaves. In view of the size of this audience and the participation of common men in it, some citizens who voted for new laws and major political decisions in the assembly of direct democracy and also served as jurors in the courts of law, the chorus became an indispensable part of dramatic performance. The chorus represented and spoke for a collective dramatic character at the level of myth. I imagined an ancient Greek chorus in this space, enacting the moment of discovering the ruins of their city. I took the text of Euripides, whose text tends to depict the human ineffectiveness to avert the fall from a state of happiness to that of absolute misery and disaster. I like that as a definition of tragedy and also as a definition of slapstick. 
As the workshop progresses, I want to write about the slapstick of this exhibition and about the slapstick going on outside of it in what Eva speaks of as our newly anxious normality. That is my position. Thank you. In conversation, Rothschild discusses the notion that not everything has to relate in exhibition context. Conversations between artworks can be dissonant and tense. So for this project, I'm working on a series of short ekphrastic poems whose only direct thematic correlation comes from their birth in the Cosmos exhibition. I'm using the personal and the imaginary to document my interaction with this work. I include the imaginary to nod to Rothschild's understanding of the magic and surrealism that underpins formalist traditions. I use this to create abstractions in my work, which is deeply personal. Often when writing about art, I tend to neglect my first instincts for fear of them being too personal. I seek to overcome this fear and reframe what I consider appropriate to make work about. In this way, I seek to expand my practice within the art writing field. Poems are events of poetry, of our consciousness, of making a universe of feeling in language. Robert Duncan, the HD book. To take a palimpsestic position in which what is written is written over. To embrace the overwhelm of geologic time. Employing a diffractive methodology. See Haraway, see Barad. Where waves combine, where they overlap, it is quantum physics and also a weary commune. In diffractive methodology, we read slowly. In diffractive methodology, we read endlessly. We read ourselves through the text of others. We are made and remade. We become textual beings. I read the, mo the mosaic, the tour shape, becomes scientific signifier as a quantum event. I read the memory of my mother as fractured Klein bottle emptied out into a universe of feeling. My work for this program follows two modes, negation and exaltation. Negation of representation, but also of psychological depth and linear time, and the exaltation of all that is surface, superficial and sentimental. Surface means the outside of an animal or plant body, the outer boundary of the earth, the corresponding part of any planet, or the outermost part of a solid object with respect to its form, texture, or extent. My position is as someone who comes to art as a conservator, trained to focus on materials, their condition and decay. My position is also as a daughter of Irish Catholic white settlers on Wurundjeri and Boon land. The power of objects might be transcendental, sacred or supernatural. All objects hold this power. But given the context of white art institutions, there is much more to say. How can I create art about and in response to the power vested in objects? When, muse when museums and galleries continue to deny requests by indigenous and colonized peoples 
for the repatriation of their objects. Material can also mean what allows you the time and space to write. From whom are these material conditions extracted? And I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners, elders past and present, and elders here. Uh, I wrote from a Jungian dream analysis perspective because I felt, um, I didn't really feel connected. I felt, or I felt connected, but I did think that the works could be sort of lifted up. I, I was really unhappy that it's do not touch. Um, I felt it was architectural, tactile. It was supposed to be solid. Um, and yet it's do not touch. Um, so back to the dream interpretation, I've just followed the six forms um, and starting for myself, looked through uh, Akka, Eva, then the show as a whole and Border as this piece because this piece sort of interested me a lot and I liked looking through the window uh, and I ask you all to look through the window later and maybe take turns because on that side it is, it makes life look a little bit um, fun but when you're standing on this side and you're looking to that side, it really um, feels sad on that side. I'll pass over. I'm taking a position of curiosity and imagination. I'm imagining the permanence of solid objects in three-dimensional space and our constant movement through, around and past them, and how I can't talk about our movement around and through space and life without incorporating the fourth dimension of time. And I'm thinking of me as a writer sitting in the centre of my own little universe and trying to pin down or resist time and turn it into something else and take that into the future. That is my position. Hello. I'm doing a performance or a dimensional essay, which is a code-based seance, which opens up a wormhole to summon transcendental space through the magic or the deep magic of the computer terminal, a space of abstraction in order to collapse time and reanimate text. Writing is a process of figuring out what you think. An expanded field of writing writes towards, away from, alongside, tangential to an artwork. In order to come back around to it, it considers the political currents in which it was made, the social context, who it is for, the systems of power that have given rise to it. An expanded field of writing understands that writing is a craft that can be wielded and moulded and broken. Different forms of writing have different building blocks. Expanded writing gives you permission to bring them together or discard them. In the space of this three and a half week writing program, I gave two public talks on diversity and preparing for another this week and was approached to write two articles on inclusion. The expanded field of writing is me never having to write about diversity again. Hello. Um, one of the positions that I adopt is that of persona. Persona emerged from my practice of choreography and performance, from years of um, moving and speaking, and speaking while moving. Um, persona is also entangled really deeply with my art-life relations. As a female and as an immigrant 
and as a dance artist and as an independent and as an experimental expanded entity, I um, feel allegiance to more than one place. And my social and cultural and disciplinary belonging is multiple. I work a lot with autobiography as a maker and as a researcher and as a writer. And my position of I is that it's not singular or fixed, um, that it's continually produced in my relation to the world. And by produced, I mean both made and unmade. And by the world, I mean forces both seen and unseen. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Annabelle, and I'm ICAS curator for public programs. I'm here to welcome you all um, to this evening. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge that we send on Boomerang land uh, and pay respect to elders uh, past, present, and emerging. Um, we just heard from each of the participants in the program. Um, and I'd like to thank you all for your contribution. That was really fantastic. And this first part of the evening was a, a sort of expanded introduction. And we've asked the writers to state their position as writers. Um, and tonight, we'll have two more uh, sections. Um, this next part um, is around the essay. So the, the group um, has chosen to share with you some uh, working process. Um, so there are some texts that you can see here um, on the floor. Um, there are also two cards that have an instruction um, for writing, if you wish, um, to, to write a note or respond to the program in that way. Um, and at the same time, there are responses that couldn't, that um, by nature don't follow these formats. Um, so during these next 15 minutes, there will be a series of dimensional essays that will happen. Um, so sort of performances, if you like. Um, so that would start and happen at the same time. Um, and at the end of these 15 minutes, um, we'll all come together and come sit um, at the front of the gallery and we'll talk a bit more about the ideas of expanded field and there will be occasion as well to, um, to ask some questions. Um, so please feel free to come forward, um, either read, write, or um, just enjoy the dimensional essays. Breath as announcing presence in a gallery as a political act of breathing in the work, breathing out the work, touch upon the work, think the puffs of air that moves a suspended structure, as a social act of tuning into the psychoacoustic response of another, breath to absorb oxygen, expel carbon dioxide, a chemical reaction and action breath as transgressive, 
against the gallery, against space. Place existing as a tomb, your breath traces the body, the gallery sacrilege, curator as handler of the objects, artists as curator, visitor as an empty vessel to only view via an ocular experience, breath oscillates. It touches. You breathe on, through, or with the art. It moves and feels your presence. Deeply. The energy of the colour traces its way, sliding down your esophagus and into your lung cavity. Floating around, the lung increases in intensity, in breath, out of breath, cloudy, smoky breath fogs up what was there obscuring reality for a moment. Becoming what the artwork is or can be. Coping with criticism is about taking a deep breath. Breath as diseased, a carrier of germs and remnants of food held in your mouth, a trace, biological function. It's sticky sweetness and languid rotten fumes. A stain or smear, the last to go. A mind cannot linger, a heart slows down. All that's left is the breath, fal faltering, but still there. We can be brain dead, but breath dead is just dead. The power of death as vital force. An intake or sharp outtake 
a shot of breath or fresh air. The insistent pace or slowing down of it, the breath of confusion or admiration. You take my breath away. Collective breath. We are propelled by breath as a force within us and around us. And collective breath in a space tells a story, weaves a narrative. All the breaths puffed, all the air sucked, all the wind exhaled, collectively comes together in a space and surrounds the works, cradles them, supports them. It's a mass of experiences, a mass of interactions, a mass of relationships. Wasted, suspended in the space. Physicality, interaction, and movement are restricted and governed by the language within the room, by the relationship that is possible with the artwork. Breath as an extension of the physical exists in a realm of the in-between. It comes from within, but is in invisible. It can touch, it can mark, it can move the work, it can connect, wear a mask. Your breath is restricted. It is only yours. It stays with you, on you. It is diffused. It is non-threatening. It has been neutralized. As I lie down next to you, knowing I can't touch, I get as close as I can and breathe. I breathe you in. I breathe onto you, I breathe softly, quickly, shortly, I breathe brightly, my breath spreads over you and rolls along until momentum is lost.
until breath is out. I caress you with my breath and I move my hand above my breath. A shadow is cast over your surface. Shadow breath. Just as breath spills us fills a space, so does shadow. My shadow is cast upon the surface of an artwork and all at once I'm in conversation with the work. I'm on the work. I'm in the work without disappearing The shadow of my hand glides across the surface of the work and touches it intimately in the same way as my breath plays with its texture, its shape, its length, its width. A breath, a shadow is a numb limb. Closer you lean towards the mouth, intimate, energy, the breath your lover exhales in the early dawn as they stir, the breath you lose after a run. Where does it go? And the line comes, I swear it, from the breath, from the breathing of the person who writes, at the moment that they write, and thus is, it is here that, the daily work, the work, gets in. For only they, the person who writes, can declare at every moment, the line is metric and its ending, where its breathing shall come to termination. Let me put it badly. The two halves are the head by the way of the ear to the syllable, the heart by the way of the breath to the line. Rhythm, 
punctuation, rhythm, punctuation, pauses, breath, holding the breath for as long or longer. Your body aching for you to breathe. The gallery aching. The art aching. The inanimate animated by breath. Slow it down. Focus on your breath. So I'll just um, start by saying a few words about the program, um, just for those who uh, might not be so familiar. This is a new writing program, and it's um, it's a very um, also new and experimental for us. Um, the program has been taking place over the last um, month, and we've had um, two workshops. There was the first workshop that was led by Lucina Strand. Um, and this program has been developed in collaboration with Lucinda and the Nonfiction Lab. Um, and it really started um, as a reflection about this exhibition and how writers can engage with practices um, that intersect with sculpture, um, special practice, and performance as well. Um, and also how some contemporary art um, deal with text and performance and how we can consider sculpture as text and um, text as performance as well. So we came together and um, decided to create a platform for writers to engage with these ideas and collectively sort of explore that together. So to, tonight's event was really a collaborative um, effort and the program is participant-led, so it was very curated by the whole group. Um, and I'd really like to um, thank and acknowledge everyone here because it's been a really, really big ask in a really intensive program. Um, so thank you all for all your dedication. Um, this was a sort of um, one outcome of the program, if you'd like. But we'll also um, have a publication um, that will be online and published next year. Um, and we'll also have some text that will come out um, in our guide, uh, The Lifted Brow. Um, and Art in Australia as well, um, who are also our partners. Um, so now I just would like to um, also thank Lucinda and um, introduce Lucinda, who's a researcher and writer as part of the Nonfiction Lab at RMIT. Um, and um, Lucinda will um, talk more about her idea of writing in the expanded field that comes um, from her research. Thanks, Annabelle. Um, and yeah, I'd just um, like to reiterate thanking all our participants um, for really coming on the ride with us um, and, you know, doing this process showing. It's really no small thing to ask a writer to um, open up their process to the public and um, you guys have, have really done a fantastic job. As Annabelle said, we've just had a couple of sessions. This has been a very challenging and fast-moving program and we're still right in the middle of it. We're moving towards a digital publication, um, which 
through um, editorial and design, we'll keep working with this idea of expansion. And just to talk a little bit about the idea of the expanded field, which I find um, extremely helpful in uh, mapping the um, things that are happening in the field of non-fiction writing. And what we've been looking at, as you've seen in this uh, introductory section, is the different kinds of positions that a writer might take. We've been talking about this term position a lot in the program. And the different kinds of positions a writer, may a writer of non-fiction may take in their encounter with the subjects of their work um, in the realm of non-fiction, you know, that, that may be art, it may be history, it may be the self or other subjects that are usually uh, in, in the realm of non-fiction writing. And in the, um, I would say, at least last decade, there's been a real opening up of these positions in the realm of non-fiction writing that is kind of akin, I think, to kind of opening up of positions that maybe we've seen in fiction um, earlier um, and certainly during the 20th century. And now we're really seeing this opening up of positions, writing positions, with respect to subjects of non-fiction. Um, so clearly, art criticism is, is one of those and the, the encounter between the writer and the artist um, or the writer and the artwork. Um, but where the expanded field becomes very useful, I think, is in mapping what is happening in this field. Um, and uh, expansion not so much as a never-ending pluralism, but expansion as mapping um, the possibilities for certain positions. Uh, and that was kind of the idea that um, Krauss brought to sculpture and the field of postmodern sculpture. And, and this uh, program is, is really exploring the application of that um, to the field of nonfiction. Um, and that's a key, yeah, that's a, a, a really key part of my research into nonfiction writing um, and how we might explain this strange term, which is nonfiction, which is actually um, nonfiction has no uh, intrinsic subject, uh, intrinsic substance as a as a term, and that's an intriguing thing. It's a disruptive kind of thing. Um, so we're all working in that realm, but trying to map, trying to map this pluralism, um, and the uh, the expanded field is a very very useful um, uh, thing to. For, for that. So that's, yeah, very, very briefly. Do we want to have questions? Um, I guess I, I had a, a question for Nancy, because um, Nancy here has been uh, performing while um, other essays have been taking place. I thought um, maybe we can open with you, Nancy, if you'd like to tell us a bit more about um, your, your work and, and what happened on the screen and maybe as a way to um, take things into, uh, into your position. Hi. So I was, um, in my terms, I call it divining a text. So I was using regular expressions, which is a very basic form of 
bash scripting in a computer terminal to um, data mine um, particular texts about um, Eva, Eva's work and from that to distill um, new essences uh, and, and perhaps and make, an, make new texts um, and open up the, um, the writing on the work or open up possibilities uh, of, of the work um, and open up text as a more performative... Um, well, it's always performative, of course, but bring the text alive, yeah? So, in a sense, I see the computer as a theatre machine in my work and um, I'm a medium that is operating the, the computer, yeah, just, just like a theatre used to be, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> trying not to perform anymore. Lucinda, you had a question? Does anyone have a question? Is there any question? Oh, thank you. Um, hi. I, that was interesting to the, just bring the computer into this because uh, I, I get this sense that, um, well, having typed out a few emails lately and had suggestions as to what I was about to say, <clears throat> say sort of pop up as part of the uh, assistance that um, Google is uh, uh, you know, giving me to, you know, so that I don't actually have to really apply too much thinking to like my responses to, not that I was applying too much thinking to my responses to anything anyway. but. Uh, but it's more that the question, I guess, is, and this kind of applies to the technology of writing, is to what extent we can actually exceed the kind of, uh, or you know, the boundaries or limits of our own predictability, and uh, if we do so, how much can we enter into you know, xenophrenic or kind of like not, you know, like space that is actually, you know, is exceeds like the limits of language, and sort of come back from that those, those sort of. Uh, liminal spaces with things that are actually valuable for others to kind of um, benefit from, or do we, or when we do that, when we actually exceed sort of the limits of language and then some comeback, uh, is is the the kind of vastly interconnected computer network that tells us like if something means or doesn't mean something will actually like also declare us to be either you know valid or invalid. And so how do we actually how do you kind of navigate that? with the technology of writing in the contemporary society that we're living in. That's just a small one for you, Nancy. Yeah. Am I going to use the technology up here? Oh, sorry, I need to go here to answer the question so I can see you. But I don't know what, if that was a question or a comment. But I guess what I was trying to do was, yes, I mean, definitely I'm critical of the autocomplete life and the autocomplete uh, anticipation of the computational media, you know, on an, our every move, indeed. Um, and so, if I was to go further into the way I approach um, a performance and, um, you know, as an art form beyond the the snippet tonight, what I like to do and what I was doing is, is showing that you can actually rewrite these things. So showing the tools and the very basic... Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure. 
Uh, oh. Uh, oh, okay. My idea is um, that my thought is that we, the, the whole idea of having expanded fields is to ensure that we, we allow other voices so that the voice is not the same, you know, the whole treadmill of um, a colonised voice, so one voice or a European voice, and, yeah, to spread that out so that we will hear some, something that's not same-same or not uh, as predictive, like you could still put new words in. Language. language, and that's the beauty of various languages and an awesome thought of why languages are coming back, Australian languages are coming back. Um, I, I've got a question um, that I think came up in, in the workshop quite a lot, and I think, um, um, Rafi, in your contribution tonight, you uh, really addressed it explicitly, which is about this idea um, or the, the thing about expansion or the limits of... Um, exploration in form and genre um, but still having to connect to a reader. So, do you want to speak to that? Sure. I think when, as soon as you're reading something and you're faced with a set text, there's automatically a level of passivity that comes with that. So, you can read and you can imagine, you can choose your setting, but in the end, you're kind of going into a world that someone has totally created, that's another person's pure point of view. So, something that I'm really interested in exploring is how you can create a little bit more space in that and then invite other people in to co-create. And it doesn't have to be something as free as um, asking other people just to populate it with everything. But uh, I'm quite interested in how digital technologies can allow a little bit more participation by a reader in a reading experience. And the processes by which you need to deal with not just text, but sound or image or any other thing that has conventionally been seen as separate from a book and incorporate that as narrative. So I think there are possibilities as well as predictabilities that come with the digital world. And I guess I'm just quite interested in seeing how those can be used to create a more participatory um, kind of creation through reading. Um, so, is there any other questions before I... Yeah. Um, so, this is like a double question, which begins with um, you. <laughs> I don't know your name. Yep. Ainsley. Yeah, Ainsley. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hi. So, you mentioned... Um, at the beginning, negation as a strategy to read artworks, or at least that's what I understood. And I'm just wondering if you see that as a position that belongs to an optimistic or a pessimistic um, philosophical or at least like um, worldview sort of position. And I would like to connect that idea of negation with Andy Butler's text, if you have um, anything to say about it, Andy, in the sense of in the sense of negating um, the position that you are kind of allocated in the art world? That's my double question. Okay, great, thank you for that. So I was playing around with which word would really capture the essence of what I was trying to mean with that. And because I also thought about countering or also I was thinking about titling the text that you might have seen on the floor as counter-depth or anti-depth. So to me, the negation is to counter the, I think it's quite similar to what's being discussed, to counter the predictability about how we encounter art or writing or 
thinking about the meeting point of both of those things. So I see it as more generative and more productive and not so pessimistic because I think there are so many, um, so much to think about when you stay at the surface of a material or of an object or of an artwork or of a piece of writing that we so quickly glide over when we're seeking the meaning or the symbol or the, the expected outcome of a work. So to me, there is a lot that isn't um, talked about or, or seen. And so negating is to negate the kind of quick uh, divination of a work. Um, sorry, can you hear me through that? Um, yeah, sorry. So your question, Diego, was about negation uh, um, and optimism or pessimism? Well, um, in connecting, so it was two separate questions, but in your case, um, if you see negation as a strategy to counter the position that you've been allocated in the art world. Yeah, um, so I guess that comes back to predictability. Um, yeah, so I feel like, I, yeah, I guess, so for those that don't know, I guess a particular position that I've been allocated in the art world is as, as a diversity worker, I guess based off a couple of essays that I um, published over the past couple of years that were like intended to negate a particular position and sort of what you were saying, Ainsley, to like try and make particular concepts surrounding race, like put them back on the table. Um, and I guess, like, finally, the way that that's sort of solidified and sort of shaped my life is that now this is all I write about. Um, but in a way that, and I guess, is you know, this is sort of like negating things to try and, like, open them up and expand them out and sort of develop ideas more. I've just found that, like, within the particular position that I've been given, that, uh, that I've been allocated is that the way that I now write about things is in the same mode when I sort of like feel this real need to like break open these ideas that I've been working with and like researching to try and like expand out uh, but I've just found that you know with the sort of you know systems of power that sort of dictate how things sort of uh, you know given a platform and a position um, that I'm, yeah, consistently left in this very, like, superficial, like, what does inclusion mean? Um, and so I guess, like, in, in this sort of, like, position that I'm trying to articulate and, like, get to in, in that piece is, like, I guess how to completely, like, remove myself from that. Um, yeah. But then also, like, think really critically about, like, the way that it's come to pass that now I am the one non-white person that major institutions know to contact if they want to talk about diversity. So there's that sort of negation as well, I guess. Can I suggest yeah. you're really good at it, though? So it would yeah. be a shame to, if you completely severed that, yeah, yeah. that uh, uh, talent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's... Yeah, and when you have to put food on the table, you have to continue yeah. to accept those, you know, whatever you're offered, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, but please don't, don't stop. Yeah. But then, sorry, I guess with the expanded field as well, like I've just found like, um, yeah, sort of different forms of writing, because I guess I'm a writer first, so I think about form and craft, is that sort of bringing non-fiction and then narrative, and then sometimes when I'm feeling comfortable, sort of like personal stories or like a poetic sort of sensibility to writing can actually really like shift the way that we think about things in a really productive way. So I guess there's, there's that sort of negation as well in, in terms of thinking really critically about how ossified particular forms can be. Yeah, cool. Um, 
I also have a, a question for um, Fayen, as in the workshop it came up that um, your response um, that happened as a performance was a sort of um, a bit of a jump for you uh, and how you were thinking about your writing practice before as something that um, takes a long time and how as a writer you might take your own position within this um, short frame context of the program. Could you perhaps um, tell us a bit more about your process here? I think that was also affected by this time of year. I'm sure I'm not the only one who is remarkably busy at this time of year. And so um, I just didn't have the headspace to develop a really kind of thoughtful, considered piece around what I was first interested in, which were the, um, the unusual um, ambiguities in the show around touch and contact, um, because there are certain works that you... Uh, need to navigate in some ways with your body, really. Um, there are others that you cannot touch. There are stools that you can sit on. And um, I send out um, uh, a questionnaire to the Acker Invigilators asking about that. And um, Jackie, who's here, <laughs> was my respondent. And it really just um, amplified my interest in uh, codes of conduct within the gallery. But I knew that it was November and I've got 80 essays to mark and how am I going to do this? Um, and then I remembered that um, I've been wanting to do something for a long time. Um, and that's that I, um, I was at an exhibition or fieldwork for an exhibition in Russia. And I met a man called Oleg, um, who was um, a blindness activist. And he told me he loved art and he loved going to galleries and he went all the time. Um, and he's a man with no vision at all. And he said he hated audio description. We bonded over that. We both hated it a lot. Um, you know, and... Um, and I said, well, what do you do when you go to the gallery? Because you just you go all the time. And he said, ah, yes, that's because I experienced galleries through psychoacoustic breathing. I thought, wow. So what he did was he would invite a friend that he trusted, and he would go along, and they would stand in front of a painting, and he would just tune into the breath of the friend beside him. And I've, I've thought that that's a really beautiful idea for a long time, but it's also quite honest, because sometimes people are trying to describe artwork, and they can't put into words you know, um, what's there. Um, and then thinking about this expanded field, um, I knew that there were a lot of people who applied for this who weren't able to get in, uh, that there were also people who would be really wonderful in this situation. And so I asked Jess here and Eva to uh, join me in this exploration of uh, breath as a, as a mode of writing, um, breath as a sentence and what it could be, uh, because they're um, very attuned into sensory language and into performative practice in ways that you know, I'm interested in growing. Thank you for sharing. Can I just say something? Yeah. I'll just, I'll just stand here. Because I love these kinds of microphones. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to this comment about negation. And, um, um, well, I'm not, in, I'm not sure I entirely understood the question, but I have a kind of... I, I think it's a very interesting um, question that you asked because... Uh, well, Megan and I, I don't know if you noticed, but we were walking um, around the space. Um, and uh, we have very different practices in, in dance, um, as in we have different training, but I think something that we have in common is perhaps what started in the 1960s by um, uh, an American group called Judson Church, and there's a very famous, one very famous um, choreographer from there from, called Yvonne Reiner who wrote the No Manifesto, and I wish I could 
know it off by heart to now say it to you, but I don't. But I think what happened at a particular time in our history, in the art history, and also in relationship to Ava and sculpture, is that no became an expansion. So no to entertainment, no to spectacle, no to, um, does anyone else know? No to virtuosity. It became a, it beca it became a way to expand. But I think that um, from my point of view, um, because now we're in a time of also affirmation too. And to be affirmed and have diversity and voice, there is a kind of yes saying. And I think there's a very interesting relationship now between no and yes. And, we, and how we are positioned, like Andy and I had a long conversation today about you know, uh, who sits on the diversity committees. It is often, um, um, well, us, really. And, um, and it, it's important to sit on them, but, but uh, who does it include and who does it exclude and um, how to continue and how, to, how to, to want to have those voices, but then also to, to you know, I, I, I was saying to Andy, look, sometimes I just want to make a work about diagonals, but um, the thing is I don't want the diagonals to be political, but if I make them, they are political. And if Ava makes them, perhaps they are political too, but... Um, yeah, there's just a lot of questions, I think, around um, affirmative action and negation. Question? Anyone? Come in. Um, yeah, I just got... Thanks, uh, Amara. Just, just returning um, to this idea of performance actually one of the things that in terms of um, the plurality of nonfiction writing that I think we're seeing a lot of and certainly in literature um, there's this coming through of, of poetry and ekphrastic writing poetic responses um, to the everyday or poetic responses to to art and we've got some really wonderful examples of that in the group also, uh, lyric essay is something that we talk about a lot in um, the nonfiction lab and a lot of us are working in, in lyric essay. Um, so I suppose here I'm returning to kind of positionality as approaches to writing um, in a different way to um, subjective positions. But one thing that's been really exciting for me uh, and unexpected coming into um, this workshop or coming out of this workshop is this movement of these writers um, writing into space and doing this kind of dimensional essay. Um, dimensional essay is this kind of term that kind of floats around, but I think in this workshop we've really started to look at, well, I've certainly really started to look at what that might be, writing into space, and that is a direct response to the show, um, which asks you to, um, you know, really consider yourself in space, and then, you know, very much, um, it's sometimes it, it is hard to put that into language. So that's been a really interesting thing. I don't know if I can put my colleague Peter Murray on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Peter... I just, just by way of just conversation, the term dimensional essay really occurred to me just from seeing the work of, of these, you know, writers. Do you have anything to say? Have you heard of the dimensional? No? Great. Okay. 
Yeah, new ground, new ground. I like, yeah, so this idea of writing into space um, is, is something that's really emerged here and I really, I really like it. Um, perhaps as a, a way of conclusion, um, um, I thought I'd just share a few thoughts um, how the program has been from my perspective, having sort of setting up a framework and, and sort of let it um, unfold. Um, because I come from a very um, art historical background. Um, I studied art history in Europe, and so my art writing has always had a lot um, of sort of hidden structures that I keep um, playing out and I keep seeing in others' essays as well. And so I used to believe that a, a good um, essay or as a writer you could write anything as long um, as it was well argued in a way as a form of, of criticism. Um, and since I moved to Australia, I've been sort of encountering more and more um, other ways of writing. And before the program, I had been thinking about this idea of um, the essay and the voice of the writer um, not being as well argued, but um, as long as you are aware of, your, of what you're doing formally in your writing or your own position, um, that could take more creative turns. And so, I've been really inspired by seeing um, some of these writers who have here very diverse practice in uh, performance, um, in poetry, all of these different disciplines and how they can really be weaved and how they can um, really bring more criticality to the other discipline and more playfulness and more creativity. So that's been really inspiring for me. Um, so, Thank you again, and if you'd like to join us for a more informal drink and chat in the foyer, um, we'll be over there. Thank you. You have been listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, Subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit acca.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.